You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Rewilding. The Holy Spirit is said to bring great power to the lives of believers. But there seems to be a disconnect in many of our walks today. How can we reconnect with our wild spirit? Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, I don't actually know how long ago it was, there was a pretty significant storm that happened here in the area. And I know that there were many homes uh, without power for many, many days. And for us, we were actually without power for just about a day or so, a little bit more than a day. And there was this moment where I was sitting uh, in my home with my son, Lincoln. Lincoln is awesome. He's about to turn four years old on Tuesday. So he's at like a really cool age. And and as a four-year-old, he asks a lot of questions. And we were sitting there with the power out, just kind of sitting in like the dark, quiet home, which is what you do when the power goes out. And Lincoln said, "Uh, Daddy, can we watch George? George being Curious George, I'm sure you've heard of him. We like to pull up Curious George on Hulu. He really likes to watch that monkey get into all kinds of trouble. By the way, George causes all kinds of problems and no one is ever mad at him. Like, can I get some of that, like, in my life? Like, what in the world? But Curious George is one of Lincoln's favorite shows and and he he likes to watch it. So, Daddy, can we watch George? I said, no, we can't watch George, bub. Uh, The power is out. And he said, oh, okay. And he's kind of sitting there for a second, and then he says, Daddy, can we play Monster Trucks? Monster Trucks is this game that I downloaded on the Xbox where he drives a monster truck up a hill just for, like, until it's over. It's a perfect game for a four-year-old, if you understand how four-year-olds play games. And I said, no, bub, we can't play Monster Trucks. And he said, why? I said, because the power is out. We we can't use any of those things. The, The power is out, and so none of those things work. And he said, oh, okay. The power's out. And he sat there kind of thinking about it for a minute. And as I was looking around at all of these devices in my home, these TVs and the refrigerator and the microwave and all these different things, I realized how many things we have in our lives that come to a crashing halt when they are disconnected from their power source. You see where I'm going with this yet? Here we have all of these things that have all this potential. They can do amazing things like call up George uh, from the cloud and like download it and let me watch it right there on TV. Or, or wait, I can microwave a Hot Pocket in like 30 seconds. Can you believe that? All of this potential, all of these things that the, these devices can do, and yet none of them can do any of it because they are disconnected from their power source. This is exactly how we are as Christians sometimes. Well, we have an entire generation of Christians who are walking around powerless because they are disconnected from their power source. They are not connecting with their power source. We have an entire generation of Christians who are, who are walking around and they are, they are basically filled with all of this potential and yet they sit there barely functioning or completely useless because they are disconnected from their power source. That power source, of course, being the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is available to each of us as a Christian and as a believer. And so my prayer this morning is that we would all walk away with a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in our lives if we will just connect with him. 
And so first, let's understand who the Holy Spirit is. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's kind of a confusing thing sometimes. Uh, back on June 3rd, Pastor David did an awesome job of preaching on the Trinity, and he talked about the Holy Spirit during that sermon. I would go back and I would listen to that if I were you. It's from the I Believe series where he preached about God, the Trinity. And in, in, in PD's sermon, he did a really good job of talking about all these things, and I'm just going to bring up two of them really quickly to reestablish that the Holy Spirit is God. The first and most obvious for us is in Acts chapter chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. There's this interaction that Peter has with a man named Ananias who had lied about some property that he sold, and he had had not given the whole prophet and lied about it. And so Peter comes to him and says, hey, listen, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then a couple verses later, he says, you didn't just lie to men, but you lied to God. Peter making no distinction there between the Holy Spirit and God. Why? Because they are one. Further, in Matthew chapter 28, we're told to go and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, how weird would it be if on Baptism Sunday, we brought people up here, we put them in our tank, and we put them down, we said, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and Travis Davenport. I mean, I love our lead pastor. I I hope that you appreciate him as well. But the day that we start baptizing people in the name of Travis Davenport will be my last day at this church. Or maybe, maybe PT doesn't do it for you. Maybe it's, uh, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and C.S. Lewis. He wrote some good books, didn't he? Ugh, something turns in your stomach, doesn't it? Like, it's like, ugh, that's weird. That's weird. Don't say that. Or let's go big, right? Go big or go home. So, so I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Paul the Apostle. Still wrong. Still wrong. Those names, no matter how great of things they might have done, have no place in that sentence. And yet we say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because they are all God, co-equals in power and unity. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit isn't just God, but the Holy Spirit is a divine person, a divine person. Not just some spiritual force that acts on behalf of the Father or on behalf of uh, Jesus, but a distinct person a distinct center of consciousness. So understand, I'm not saying a human person, but a person in the sense that he has his own distinct center of consciousness. We we define this and we know this because of three things. The Holy Spirit has his own mind, he has his own emotions, and he has his own will. And we see this in Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 27 says that he possesses a mind It says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. You see it there, the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We also see that the Holy Spirit possesses emotions. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 says, how much much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. Talking about the Holy Spirit has outraged the Holy Spirit. You can make the Holy Spirit angry. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can make the Holy Spirit sad. How are you supposed to anger or hurt the feelings of some arbitrary force? If you have a pool or an access to a pool, and I said, uh, go to that pool right now. I want you to do a cannonball into the water. But be careful. You might make the water angry. 
you'd just kind of look at me like, what? you're a weirdo. What are you talking about? We can't make water angry. If you have to trim back some tree that's like a branch is hanging over your, your driveway and you're afraid of it falling and crushing the wind, windshield like it does in all those progressive insurance commercials, like if you're worried about that and you go and you trim the branch back, are you worried that you're going to upset the tree? Like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upset the tree. It's going to be mad at me. No. If you trim back some sort of plant or fruit, are you going to hurt the flower's feelings? No, because those things don't have emotions. They are not distinct centers of consciousness. And yet, here we see that the Holy Spirit has emotions, can be angry, can be upset, can have hurt feelings, can, can, can be grieved. We also see that the Holy Spirit possesses a will. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. The these in this scripture is the gifts, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But first it says, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Can't get more clear than that. He chooses to give whichever gifts he wants to give to whoever he wants to give them. Notice also the pronoun he here. We find scripture filled with saying he in relation to the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself says he in relation to the Holy Spirit. He is a distinct person. And so you might say, okay, I get it, I believe it, the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is his own distinct person, but what does the Holy Spirit like really do? Like what's his job, what's his purpose? Well, he's God, so he can do anything. <laughs> like he can do whatever he wants. He's fully God. In fact, one of the most important things that he did was create the universe. That's why we exist. Genesis uh, chapter one, verse two says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's the Holy Spirit. He was present at creation. When you think about the Holy Spirit, are you thinking about God in the sense that he was present at creation? I know I'm not always remembering that. Verse 26 says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Have you ever wondered why it says that? That's God talking about the Trinity. He's saying the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us. The three of us, the Trinity, make men in our image. One of the coolest things that the Holy Spirit does in Scripture is he gives life. It tells us that he's the one that raised Jesus from the dead. He's also the one that raises believers from the dead whenever we are given salvation. This says so in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit is the one that raised Jesus from the dead and he lives inside of you, then he's going to give you life. He's going to give life to your mortal bodies because he lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit raises from the dead. We also see that he is the author of prophecy and he's the one who inspires scripture. 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspires prophecy. Thank goodness that it wasn't from the will of men or our prophecies wouldn't be true very often, ever. 2 Timothy verse 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. The Holy Spirit is the one who authors scripture and authors prophecy. The Holy Spirit does some amazing things. And you might be saying, okay, I get it. He's God. He does some stuff. But 
what does he do for me, right? Like, how does it affect me? It's kind of a selfish question, but at the same time, we need to know that as Christians. We need to understand the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. Well, the first, and I think the most important thing that he does for us is he indwells believers. Indwells is like a fancy way of saying he takes up residence inside of believers. He he makes us his home, his temple. And in that process, he seals us, scripture says. He seals us, locks us. Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, it's talking about Jesus, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So in Jesus, you heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Jesus, and now you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee of our inheritance as children. This means that it's not our job to try and hold on to the gift that God has given us. The Holy Spirit guarantees it for us, seals it until we take possession of it to the praise of his glory. By the way, there's an important distinction here between being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why in the Old Testament it it says that so-and-so was filled with the Holy Spirit and he did X, Y, Z? But then you go all the way to Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit arrives on the day of Pentecost and you say, hold on, I thought people had already been filled with the Holy Spirit at different times. And so it's important that you understand there is a difference between being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for some certain event or something that God is going to use that person for, and then being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you as a Christian, as a believer. That's what makes it so much more amazing, the fact that God, the God who created the universe, the one who is all-powerful, the one who raised Christ from the dead, decided to live inside of us and seal us. He's not going anywhere because he's holding us. He's sealing us until we can acquire the possession of the gift that we are given, the inheritance that we are guaranteed as children of God. We also see that he is a helper. He helps believers. John 14, verse 6 says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you things and bring you remembrance of all that I have said to you. So he helps us understand the words of God. He helps us understand Scripture. He is a helper. He's going to remind us of Jesus. He also assists us in prayer. This is awesome. Romans 8, verse 26 says that, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray. We do not pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is something Pastor Travis has been mentioning regularly lately. We don't even know how to pray. We can't even do it right. And so the Holy Spirit fixes it for us. He, he groans in things and words too deep for us to understand and, and groanings too deep for words. He helps us prayer. He intercedes on our behalf. He also sanctifies us. This is one I'm sure you know a little bit about. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the flesh. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you understand what this scripture is saying? I mean, have you really thought about this? I know that we love grace. Man, do I love grace. Thank you, God, for your grace. But, but scripture seems to indicate here that if I would just walk by the Spirit, if I would walk in the Spirit, if I would just pay attention to God's faithfulness, I would know that there is a way out of every single sin. And scripture seems to be indicating here that if we actually did that, we would not sin anymore in our lives. Not because of our work, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us if we would just walk. And yet we disconnect ourselves from this power, and so we continue to fail. We continue to not live up to our potential. But understand, Christian, that he is sanctifying you, and you do not have to go on sinning because the Holy Spirit gives you power to overcome the desires of the flesh. God is faithful. He will not let you, let you be tempted beyond your ability. And with temptation, he will provide a way of escape. If you're in here today and you're struggling with some sort of sin and, and you don't see a way out, you don't, you don't see that there's any way that you could possibly escape this, I want you to lean into the promises of Galatians and 1 Corinthians that say if you just walk in the Spirit, if you would just connect with the Holy Spirit, you will not, desi- you will not desire to gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't do it. If you would just pay attention to God's faithfulness, you will see that he is giving you a way out of that temptation. He doesn't want you to give yourself over to the flesh. He wants to see you have victory. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. We also see that the Holy Spirit bears fruit. Galatians 5, and 23 say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I know that's not in context, but it's still funny that it says that there's no law against such things. That's awesome. He also gives gifts. He bears fruit, but he gives gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of, of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. This is important here. We're given gifts for the common good of the body, for the building up of the body, for the edification of the church. Does it say we're given these gifts for selfish gain? Let's even soften it. Does it say for personal gain? Somebody tell me. No, it does not. It says the gifts we are given are for the common good. For some we are given... Uh, an utterance of wisdom, an utterance of knowledge. It's by the same spirit. Another, the, the utterance of faith by the same spirit to other gifts of healing, to another working of miracles. Others are prophecy. And we can distinguish between the spirits. Some of us have various kinds of tongues and to others interpretation of tongues. And all those are empowered by the, the same spirit. And this is where we pick up what we talked about earlier. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, And God has appointed in the church first the apostles, second the prophets, third the teachers, then the miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongue. The list increases. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says, or sorry, excuse me, Romans 12, 6 through 8 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, says, Let us use them. 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads, lead with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The the list is not definitive. It it doesn't specify in scripture exactly what gifts there are that come from the spirit, but it, it lists all these different things. And there is one common theme that when you see them, you start to draw out. And that is the fact that not everybody has the same gifts. This is important for us as Christians. If you have ever believed that there is some certain gift that you should have manifesting in your life as an example, as proof that you are a Christian, then you are not reading Scripture correctly. Tongues. If you believe that there is a certain gift that the Holy Spirit gives, which, by the way, he apportions to each one individually as he wills, he will give some of us certain gifts and the others of us others, of us, other gifts. And he does it for the common good, for the good of the body. Not all of us have the same gifts. But notice earlier in Galatians when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, And then it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you plant a seed, when you plant an apple seed, what grows? An apple tree. When you plant an orange seed, if that's a thing, what grows? Orange tree. Would an apple come from an orange tree? That would be ridiculous. Understand that what we're being shown here through this theme is that the fruit of the Spirit, meaning when the Spirit is planted in you, the fruit of that, the byproduct of that in every single one of you, if you have the Spirit... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So the fruit of the Spirit should be happening in your life. But the gifts of the Spirit are something He chooses to give to different people as He sees fit. Paul further emphasizes this importance in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-3. through 3. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but I have not love, I gain nothing. All these gifts that Paul is referencing mean nothing if we do not have love. It's a warning that the fruit of the Spirit is much more important than the gifts of the Spirit. Is love what we're known for as a church? I mean, honestly, is love what the Christian church in America in 2018 is known for? Is it? Is love what you're known for? Is love what you're known for in your places of work, in your schools? In your family? Is love what you are known for? And worse, do you have a supernatural amount of love? Do you have the amount of love that comes as a byproduct, as the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in your life and you being connected with that power? Do you have a supernatural amount of love? 
Do you have a super supernatural amount of joy or of peace or, or of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, of self-control? Are these things that you would use to describe your life? Are these words that you would use to describe your character day by day? More, are you seeing victory over sin in your life? I mean, I've laid it out here in Scripture. Scripture seems to indicate that if we are connected with the Holy Spirit, we should be seeing victory over sin in our lives. We should be seeing a supernatural amount of love and joy and patience and so on in our lives. And, and all too often, we are just like the devices in my home that are sitting there, not living up to their potential because the power went out. All too often, we are, we are sitting there as Christians with all this potential and all this victory that we could see and all these things that we could see happen, these, these gifts that we could see manifested and, and the fruit of the Spirit that we could see change our world, and yet we do not see it in our own lives because we are disconnected from our power source, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, I have little doubt that many of us would love to see the benefits of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the, the problem is the very first thing that the Holy Spirit is most likely going to do in your life is convict you of your sin. We'd love the power, wouldn't we? We'd love the power, but do we want to know what is our own sin of course, we would love the gift of healing people. We would love that. But, but do you want to know how you are hurting people first? Of course, you would love the gift of, of healing people. But do you want to know how you are hurting people with your lust? Do you want to know how you are hurting people with your selfishness? Do you want to know how you are hurting people with your pride or your arrogance? Of course, you want to heal people. But do you want to know your sin. I mean, are you sure you want to know the Holy Spirit? Are you sure you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, coming into your world, turning it upside down, changing your desires, pointing you to your sins, calling you out of your comfort zone, not letting you settle for your depravity every single day that you seem so content to wallow in? Are you sure you want the Holy Spirit are you sure you want this wild spirit that may ask you to quit your job because you're called to some sort of specific mission work? Are you sure you want this wild spirit that might reveal to you that how you are spending your money is selfish and you should be giving much more of it for the sake of the kingdom? Are you sure you want this wild spirit that might prompt you to go and ask some random stranger in the bread aisle how you can pray for them? Are you sure you want this wild spirit to come into your life and tell you that you have to forgive that person no matter what they have done to you? Are you sure you want this wild spirit that might put a burden in you to tell your friends about Jesus, to tell your coworkers, to tell your family? Are you sure you want the Holy Spirit working in your life? Of course we want the power, but do we want the conviction. The truth is the Holy Spirit is not something that we possess as much as it is something that possesses us. In fact, I'm going to correct that. The, the truth is the Holy Spirit is not something that we possess as much as it is someone that possesses us. 
How much are you giving of yourself to, to Christ, to the, to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit wants to possess you, to lead you, to, to have you walk in the Spirit, that you would see victory over the desires of your flesh. Is this something that you want? I hope it is. Because the creator of the universe, for whatever reason, has decided to take residence inside of us to empower us and call us to a greater life. And my fear is that maybe some of us in this room are avoiding the Holy Spirit because we're kind of scared of what he might ask us to do. We're kind of scared of what he might draw out of us as we, as we reconcile ourselves with the sacrifice of Christ. Maybe that's you. But understand you are sitting full of potential, but useless because you are disconnected from your power source. The Holy Spirit wants to, to do a work in you. Maybe, maybe you're not somebody who's worried about that, but you just don't know how to connect with the Holy Spirit. How do I, how do I connect with the Holy Spirit? What practically can I do? Well, Scripture tells us that we must believe. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 says, When you believed, you were marked with him in the, with a seal by the promised Holy Spirit. We must ask. Luke 11.13 says, How much more will your Father in heaven give, you the, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Repent and be baptized. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we must love and obey. John 14, verse 23, Jesus, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, 32 says, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We should believe, we should ask, we need to repent and be baptized. We should love and obey. And you might say, okay, that's cool, but... I can't wrap my head around that. Practically, what can I do today to connect with the Holy Spirit? Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit and how we interact with God. I think all too often, for some reason, when something really, really big is going on, we have no problem calling on God. If we're about to change jobs, or we're trying to decide who we should marry, or where we should go to school, and we'll look, and we'll look like five years down the road, and we'll say, God, five years from now, can I just, can I be out of school, like working a good job? Would you just help me do that? Or, or can I just find the right person to marry? Could you just help me find that person? Or will you just help me, like, make it through school, or find the right college, or whatever it might be? We're happy to give God our five years from now, but how often are you giving God your next 10 minutes? How often are you going to the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, yes, I do care about five years from now, but I care about you right here, right now. What will you do with my next 10 minutes? And if you begin to give the Holy Spirit your next 10 minutes, and then your next 10 minutes after that, and then your next 10 minutes after that, trust me when I say five years from now, you will be exactly where the Lord wants you. Practically, what can we do to connect with the Holy Spirit? Pay attention. Connect with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing a work in us, and our role in that is to get up every day and meditate on the promises of God and believe that he is doing a work in us. 
The reason this gets complicated for us is because we're looking for something to do. In fact, we just need to believe. And the best way to believe is be reminded by the Holy Scriptures what God has promised us. I want you to think of the Holy Spirit walking with you, standing right behind your back, shining a light on Christ in front of you. And when you read your scripture, you turn your head down to the word of God, and he's shining a light down onto the scripture, illuminating it, helping you understand it, and helping it permeate your heart. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to come and help you remember me, help you know the truth. Of course, the Holy Spirit knows the truth of the Bible. He's the one who inspired it. Of course, he's the one who can help us read it and understand it more and help it jump out at us and and penetrate our hearts because he's the one who brought it to us in the first place. The Holy Spirit is waiting to be connected with. He's waiting to see us meditate on the promises of God so that he can illuminate those promises to us so that he can do the work in us. There is nothing that we can do but believe. There is nothing we can have but have faith. And we must have faith that God will fulfill his promises. But there's some tension here where God wants us to obey. He wants us to obey. And we must obey. We must read the Bible and pray. I used to get in trouble all the time in junior high youth group because I answered every question with read the Bible and pray. And people would be like, you punk preacher's kid with your face and your mouth. I'd be like, oh, I know the answer. Read the Bible and pray, which is always the answer. (laughs) That's why it's annoying. And I am 30 years old, and guess what? The answer is still read the Bible and pray. For some reason as Christians, we want to make it more complicated than than that. And yet God has given us his word. He's put himself into us, indwelling us as the Holy Spirit. And he's just asking us to communicate with him. We already have the Holy Spirit as believers. The Holy Spirit's helping us pray because we don't even know what to pray for. And God's just saying, hey, look for me in my word so that I can remind you that I am working in and through you so that I can remind you that there is a way out, that there is victory to be had, that you do not have to gratify the desires of the flesh because I am in you and working through you. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.